0: Every one of us in this room, we've got dreams, things with all our heart we'd really like to do, but I promise you the only way to get there is to make today count. Start and be faithful in the small things.
1: Welcome back to There Is Always A Way podcast with Dr. J Strack. Today's guest is a WWE Hall of Fame professional wrestler best known for his role as the villainous Million Dollar Man of the World Wrestling Federation. He has traveled the world with the WWF wrestling in some of the largest venues, but after almost losing everything, he had a powerful conversion to Jesus Christ. A few years later, God called him into evangelism and now officially ordained into the ministry, he is speaking around the world to hundreds of thousands of people, young and old alike. In this episode, Dr. J goes behind the scenes with one of the most iconic wrestlers in history who Jesus radically transformed. There is Always a Way with Ted DiBiase. Here's Dr. Strack.
0: We have a special guest. I'm talking about Monday Night Raw, Friday Night down, a little bit of the old Monday Night Nitro. I mean, this is like WrestleMania coming to a podcast. We have Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man. And there's so much. We're going to talk about our battles in the ring and how, you know, he had to— re- you know, retire after he, you know, I took the belt away from him. We'll we'll go through all those kind of scenarios, but I promise you, you're gonna hear in these next moments from what I believe is one of the greatest messengers for men, for young men, but also for families because uh, profession, uh, corporations love to come in and speak Uh, Churches love for him to come and do family conferences, men's conferences. He's also very, uh, been greatly used with a lot of community events for nonprofits to get awareness or to raise funds. So this is a personality that transcends a lot of different arenas. But most of all, he is a longtime friend, somebody I consider a brother, But He is a motivator for men. And my desire on There's Always a Way podcast, Ted, is first of all, that I want to know what somebody like you, Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame, now think about that, Ted. Let me explain to you how important that is. The WWE Hall of Fame. I mean, now I I was traumatized first time I saw you in. And speed up, but that's a whole other thing. (laughs) Therapist all that. But here you are, the sports entertainment legend. You're a Hall of Famer, but yet I've watched professional athletes at every level. I've watched young young athletes at every level. I mean, it's just amazing how the Lord is used and how you've been able to do so much good. Uh, really based on that platform. But there's so much more to your story than just being a WWE superstar. And that's what I want our folks to hear. So Ted, here's the ground rules. First question. And this is for all the money right here, okay? I know I'm talking to the million dollar man. Mm -hmm. I know I'm talking to the guy that says, every man has a pro, I know all that. But here's the question. When you hear the phrase, there's always a way, based on your all those years, that upbringing you had uh, in the Midwest, college years, struggling, figuring out what you wanted to do with your life, and then, of course, all that's come since then, based on your experience, what is it that you think of when you hear there's always a way?
2: Wow, uh, you know, uh, there's there's an old saying, uh, winners never quit and quitters never win. Uh, if you asked, I think Chuck Knoll, who was the head coach of the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers, he said this, he said, uh, champions aren't champions because they do extraordinary things. They're champions because they do ordinary things better than anybody else, which means they never quit. It's, it's practice. Uh, uh, again, Vince Lombardi, yeah, the Lombardi Trophy. The Super Bowl winners get that trophy. Uh, he said. He said, uh, "Perfection is an impossible to attain, but in the pursuit of perfection, we can attain excellence." And again, he's saying the same thing. It, it's 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 about that that never quit attitude, and there there is always a way. And and from uh, you know from a man of God side of the point, there, there, there is always a way because. Because I know and I'm in my faith and my trust is in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing he can't do for me. And, and it's just I have to be diligent to pursue it. I have to be diligent to, uh, at times, wait on God when things seem to be, you know, I don't understand this, Lord. You know, why, why is this happening to me? But I know in the end, if, if I have the patience and I wait on him, it's, it's going to happen. And, you know, when I wait on him, it always happens better it always comes out better than if I try to rush it.
0: Well, well well said, Ted. Well, you, you referenced this, you said uh, uh, not only who you are in sports entertainment and as a motivational speaker, conference speaker, but as a man of God, I have to admit one of my most traumatic experiences much earlier in my life was we got to spend some time together. And we were going to uh, your car, you had some suitcases to put in it. And so I said, I'll carry your briefcase. And that was the briefcase that Virgil always carried down, you know, ringside. And there was a million dollars in there because every man has their price. So I'm carrying the briefcase of the million dollar man. (laughs) And we're walking backstage of Universal Studios and all that going to back, you know, the parking lot. Uh, where you could drive on on backstage. And I never will forget in the course of you needing to get your keys were in your briefcase. So we opened up the, and I'm about, man, I'm gonna see a championship belt. I'm gonna see a million dollars. And I gotta be honest with you, there was a Bible that looked like it had been body slammed 20 times. Somebody had been reading it quite a bit. And number two, there was a book called, uh, uh the spirit the spiritual laws of mature uh, discovering God i believe it was by yeah. philosophy yeah and so the, here were the a, a book on you know the book for spiritual growth on the hottest things at the time and life changing so you're reading that and you got a bible and I'm looking for the championship belt and the money so <laughs> this thing being a man of God is something you've been pretty serious about for some time.
2: Uh, yeah, yes it is jay and it's 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 an amazing story how uh god got me where i am today and 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 you you're you're part of that story as well you're one of those people that was placed in my path you know uh just at the right time um uh my story starts with you know it's kind of like uh, I was raised by a very loving stepfather who came into my life when I was five. Mike DiBiase was the son of Italian immigrants. He married my mother when I was five years old. My biological parents divorced when I was two. And I I spent from two to five with my grandparents out in Arizona, this little town, Wilcox. Um, And Mike DiBiase was not just a professional wrestler. Uh, 1946, it was the AAU National Heavyweight Wrestling Champion, wrestling for the Navy. Uh, Then he went to Nebraska when he got out of the Navy and he lettered eight times, four years in football, four in wrestling, three years in a row, conference heavyweight champion. Uh, So here's a guy who had some discipline. Here's a guy who, and and I I never heard any of those stories about my father from my father. I heard them from everybody else. Talked about, uh, he had had a paper route when he was a kid. Uh, His paper route was he would get up, get his papers, climb on a train, sell his papers all the way to Lincoln, Nebraska get off that train back on another train all the way back to Omaha and sell his papers and then go to school and then go to football practice and then go to wrestling practice. And so, um, and I can remember the first time I said to him or uh, said something about having a, an allowance, like getting money for nothing. He looked at me and he said, son, he says, if, if you want money, you're going to work. And, uh, he did this. He said, I'll tell you what, he says, there's a golf course over there, a couple blocks from where we were living at the time his wrestlers moved around a lot. And he said, you go c- caddy at that golf course this summer. He says, whatever you've saved by the end of the summer, I'll match and we'll buy you a new bike. And uh, and he said, now between here and there, there's McDonald's, you want to stop at McDonald's and get a burger, your money. Uh, but everything in that refrigerator when you get home is free. It was all about he was he was, you know, I look back at that. And I understand what he was teaching me about the choices we make, what's more important. And so I, I did what he said and and he he more than he more than uh, uh matched what i had said and i got the first new bike I'd ever really owned uh, mm-hmm. i think it was a a, a Schwinn stingray the big uh the, the big banana seat and the high handlebars and uh but here's the and i tell kids this I've i said here's some what of I museums
0: buy. ted i've seen bikes like that in, in some museums
2: so <laughs> yeah yeah. Anyway, but uh, what I, the first two things I bought for my new bike was an oil can and, and like chrome polish. I mean, I treated that bike like a lot of people treat new cars. You know, park them way out in the parking lot where there aren't anybody, where's nobody parking out there, so nobody opens your door and scratches your paint. Uh, because every time I looked at that bike, I, I thought about how many times I walked that golf course. So. You know, that's those are the things that, that, that Mike DiBiase instilled in me as a young man. I lost him when I was 15 years old. And he suffered a heart attack at the age of 45 and died. I go back to Arizona where my, my mother's parents lived in this little town, Wilcox. I have dreams of college and professional football, and, and, and I loved wrestling. I wanted to do that, too. And I was looking around this little town wondering if my dreams could come true. Uh, I watched my mother sink into despair and alcoholism overnight. Uh, and would come home and hear her say at times, you know, I just wish I were dead. I have nothing to live for. Uh, now if there was ever a kid who had the opportunity to just go, why is this all happening to me? Uh, you know, and just, you know, you know, mom, if you're going to drink, watch me, I'm going to go out and hang out with her. But I didn't do that. Jay, I didn't do that because the other thing that my dad did for me was he took me to church. Now my dad's the DBS is an Italian name and name. And like most Italians, my dad was Roman Catholic, you know, and I was actually an altar boy in in the Catholic church and I came up through Catholicism. And, and, and I looked back at that and I said, I, I, I had, I know there's some things that I didn't understand, but the one thing I did believe in was God. The one, the one thing that I had for God was a genuine heart. And, uh, many nights in that little town in Wilcox, when my mom was drinking, I would go out to the cemetery where my father's buried and pray, you know, and I wasn't saying the rosary, I was just crying out to God. Uh, and I, I stayed I stayed true, like, you know, there's always a way. There's always a way. And I stayed true to the things that he had taught me uh, and I stayed close to God. And uh, I ended up being the first kid to graduate from this high school in, in uh, Wilcox, Arizona with a full scholarship. Play Division one college football. I passed on the University of Arizona to go to West Texas State University. Uh, it's amazing how many wrestlers I mean, not just wrestlers, stars that came out of West Texas State University largely due to the influence of the a very famous wrestling family, the Funk family. Dory Funk Sr., my dad were good friends, Dory Funk Jr., and Terry Funk. Uh, you know, I mean, Terry's like a, a brother to me, and uh, and so I, you know, I saw them on TV one day. I hadn't seen any wrestling for, I don't know how long and wrestling comes on and, and I recognized where it was from and they were coming to Tucson. So I went for the visit. Terry talked me into taking the recruiting trip and I ended up at West Texas state because I, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I always had a heart. I always loved what my father did. And, uh, and I realized that I wasn't going to go to the NFL one day when the coach said, Dibiase. I wish all my players had your tenacity, son, but we're going to have to start timing you with a sundial. <laughs> I said, well, uh, I guess that, you know, they, they even moved me from defense to offense to give me the benefit of the snap count and an assignment. Yeah. But I, when, I, when I got out of college, uh, I went straight to wrestling. Uh, and I went uh, to a place called Mid-South Wrestling, was regional wrestling. Uh, the owner-operator at the time was a guy named Cowboy Bill Watts, and uh the Cowboys uh
0: Tulsa, was
2: that Tulsa? T- Tulsa. It was he was based in Tulsa, but the territory covered all of Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Mississippi, big territory. You know, and uh, um, you know, quite frankly, if I'd have been paid by the mile, I'd be the multi-million dollar man. Because we put on a lot of a lot of miles. But uh Bill Watson, Bill uh, today, Bill is a very strong Christian. And I've told him that before because we stay in contact. I said, Man, I said why couldn't you have been a Christian when I was working for you? <laughs> he was a slave driver. Uh, we didn't have days off. Uh, your day off was when you happened to wrestle in the town where you had an apartment or where you lived, and it was it was just seven days a week. It was a grind, and but I loved what I did. And I will say this: I'm one. You know, not everybody gets a job in life that they love, uh, but I did. You know, I and I I, I did well very fast. I rose to fame. I went to uh, different territories along the way. Um, You know, I went back to Texas for a while. I went up to Kansas City. Then I went to Georgia, Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, back to Mid-South. And then it was in, uh, along the way, and in in Georgia, when I went to Georgia, it was where I uh, met Melanie. Now, I got married the first time, while I was in college at the age of 20. There was no more dad because he died. There was no more. There was no other other father figure in figure in my life who was you know speaking to me and 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 asking me the tough questions that I should have been asked. Uh, and so uh, I feel like that first marriage was doomed from from the very beginning. And um, uh, so we divorced, and out of that that marriage, uh, I had my firstborn son, Michael, who I named after my dad. Uh, so in Georgia in 1981, April 20, uh 22nd, 1981 to be exact, I met Melanie and Melanie, uh, went to, went to school. Her best girlfriend at school was a uh, daughter of a Baptist preacher. That's how Melanie got saved. And God brings this, this girl into my life, you know, and of course when I first met Melanie and I had been, you know, I'd been divorced, you know, I was a wrestler you know, I wasn't thinking about marriage. I wasn't thinking about falling in love. I was just thinking about myself. But, uh, by the end of the, the last day of 1981, we met in April and on new year's Eve in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, we got married and, uh, God had brought into my life this wonderful woman who, who along the journey of our life became a strong, strong Christian. Uh, like when I would I would wrestle in Baton Rouge on, on Tuesday nights, and while I was wrestling, she would be going to a Bible study. Uh, and so, uh, Melanie and I uh, got married in '81, and then by '82 we have my our first son, Ted Jr. Uh, we went back to Atlanta for a while and then we then we went back then when we came back to work uh when i came back to work for bill watts in 84 uh we were here from 84 to 87 and it was 1987 uh and along those years this is when the wwf started to 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 grow and and become bigger than life and and national and then international and uh so i get the call um from uh, Vince McMahon. And he's got an idea. And he says, "Teddy says, I think you're just the guy for this deal. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the million dollar man. And now I'm, uh, now I'm flying around the world in Lear jets and limousines and, and flying first class all the time, because that's, I mean, the way Vince McMahon markets things. that's part of his marketing strategies. I want the people to believe you're that guy. Now, you know, the only other guys that went first class were, were Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. <laughs> Andre, seven four four fifty. He ain't going to coach anyway. No. But, uh, you know, and so uh, – but but what happened to me along the way, when, when I got to college, Jay, you know, it's like it's almost as if I showed up and I said, gee, thanks, Lord. I, I appreciate all your help, but I got it now. When I need you again, I'll let you know. I didn't say anything like that, but that's what my actions said. And I drifted away and uh, and I certainly and now now I'm a star in a company that's becoming nationally known and internationally known. And we as wrestlers are traveling like rock stars, Uh, you know, not just across the country, but around the world. And we were acting like rock stars next town, next show, next party, uh, next girl. and uh, God has a way of uh, knowing when to jerk your chain. he you give you just enough rope to hang yourself. And his timing's perfect. And March of 1992, WrestleMania 8 took place in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I went out that night after this big show, uh, you know, in my tailor-made suit, you know, and a gold chain around my neck and, you know, a pretty girl on each arm because I'm cool. I'm a million-dollar man. Well, the next day I got on a plane and I flew to uh, Detroit. Checked into the Marriott Hotel. Went to the payphone to call home and check in, and there was a big surprise for Ted. My wife had discovered what was going on, and Jay. In a fraction of a second, I realized that I had put in jeopardy the greatest treasure I had. I, had, I mean, that God had given me this wonderful woman who loved me. Uh, who had had bore my son and, and and another son. Our son Brett was was born just before I, I took off to work for the WWF. And I had put my marriage in, in jeopardy and I had put the future, the stability and the well-being of my children at risk. And all for what? to stroke to stroke my ego and the reality of that sunk in. And I, I, I you know, I mean, I like, you fool, you fool. You have blown it. And I was sure. Uh, and I, I said, well, I don't want to talk about it on the phone. I'll be on the next plane. And she said, no, you won't. You don't live here anymore. Click. And the guy I called uh, is a guy who today is uh, one of my closest friends. Um, and another guy like you who has had influence in my life. His name is Hal Santos. I actually met Hal in Baton Rouge at the gym where I worked out. Uh, right after Melanie and I were born. He, he walked up to me in the gym and he introduced himself said he'd seen me on regional television and had one question for me. you know Jesus? Pretty bold guy. And uh, so uh, we sat down. I said, let's talk about that. And so we started a conversation there. Long story short, uh, Hal stayed in touch with me. He eventually left Louisiana and he, he went as a youth minister to a church in uh, Fairview Heights, Illinois. That pastor retired and put him in as the pastor of that church and he's been there 35 years, which if you know anything about pastoring is amazing. And, um, so in my darkest hour, I called how, how, how stayed in touch with me. And here's the thing. as I look back at it, hindsight's 2020 when Hal would call me, he didn't, he didn't beat me up with uh, religious questions. Are you going to church that are you doing this? Are you doing that? You know what? He just, he just loved on me. He was just a friend. And when I called him, he here's what he said. He said, "Teddy said, I've been praying for you since we met. And he said, my prayer's been this. Lord, I know one day Ted's going to hit the wall. When he does, let me be there for it. And he was. Uh, he, he has Melanie and I fly to St. Louis, Fairview Heights, Illinois, where his church is across the river. Put, picked me up, took me on the longest 20-minute ride of my life. I'm going to face the music. Al, what do I do? He said, "Ted, Jesus said the truth that set you free. Never said it'd be painless, and he said it, it never said it would be easy. He said, but it set you free. So if you'll if you'll trust Jesus today, like you did when you were a little kid, he knew my story, the, the one I've just told about losing my dad, my mother's alcoholism. He said, he said, Ted, he said he'll forgive you and he'll restore you. He said he never left you; you left him, and all these years he's been trying to draw you back. And uh, he says, and remember, he says." Jesus is fully God and fully man and being fully God, he's the God who put every star in the sky. When you look up at night, he says he knew when you, he knew when you would take your first and last breath and everything you would do it in between. And he said, if he were the only man who ever lived, he still would have stepped off the throne of heaven and died on the cross just for you. Jay, when he said that to me, the impact of that, the thought of that, and, and, and the th- as, as God allowed me to look back at all the times He did show up for me, all the times He answered my prayer, that desert cemetery, all that I had gotten, and all that, I, and, and the countless times that I, in spite of being blessed, had trampled the blessing. But the fact that this God still loved me and forgive me in that moment overwhelmed me, and I've never been the same since that's when I really got it. That's when, when it hit home. And, uh, I was like, uh, and it's just amazing. The other thing he uh, Hal asked Melanie and I to go with him to this youth rally that they were having in Chicago, that that was an annual thing leading into the Easter weekend. And on the way up there, he gave me a book by uh, Edwin Lewis Cole called Maximized Manhood. Uh, you know, and Ed Cole, he said these things, he said, uh, you know, he says, he says, uh, a man is only as good as his word, and if his word's no good, he's worthless. He says a real man is uh, is, is a spiritual leader in his home, <laughs> and I'm uh, you know, and I'm, I'm reading these things and going, oh my gosh, I wanted to crawl under a rock. Uh, but uh, we got to Chicago. I went in this big auditorium, uh, and I think it was the Hyatt o- Hyatt Regency Hotel. Uh, the, the speaker that day was a guy named Reggie Dabs. Reggie's a great guy. And he brought the, but I walked in now, you know, back then I had a highlighted blonde hair, the dark tan. I mean, the whole deal of WrestleMania just happened a week ago. All teenagers, they all knew me. There's, I mean, a room full of people who knew who I was. I mean, there's Ted DiBiase, there's a million dollar man. What's he doing here? Good question. When Reggie gave the invitation, I, I beat every kid in the building to the front of the room, man. I mean, I, I didn't just go forward, Jay. I went forward and, and fell on my face and I cried like a baby. I didn't care what anybody in that room thought because there wasn't anybody else in that room, as far as I was concerned, but me and Jesus. And uh, I remember that. I'll never forget it. Uh, the kids that came, kid, they came up. They pulled me up off the off the carpet, like uh, to my knees, and they were they were crying too, hugging my neck. Uh, and I remember saying to God, I said, "Lord, I said, I'm yours." I said, I keep trying to do this my way, and my way doesn't work. And I said, whatever you want. If I have to quit wrestling, I don't care. I don't care. I'm yours now. Uh, Now, Melanie watched all of this, and she came up to me. And I was was totally convinced that I was going to lose my wife, and I deserved it. That's exactly what I deserved. And she said, Ted, I'm not going to make you a promise I can't keep. I just don't know if I'm strong enough to do this. She said, but I serve a God of restoration, not divorce. And because I want to be obedient and that's the word she used. I want to be obedient to this still small voice in my heart right now. That's telling me to give you another chance. I'm going to try. No promises. I'm going to try. And I looked at Melanie that day and I said, if you'll give me this chance, I'll, I'll become the man. You thought you married. I will become the spiritual leader in my home. Well, God willing, one day regain your trust and respect. And that was like March of 92. Uh, this new year's Eve, Mel and I will celebrate our 39th year of, of marriage. And Jay, God, just God doesn't just fix things. God, God, you know, God makes things greater than, I mean, it's like the relationship that I have with my wife today is far greater than I ever could have hoped for or imagined. Uh, but it was my wife's faith that yeah. w- shot me off like a rocket. When when my wife, after confessing what I had confessed to her, when she said, I'm going to give you another chance, that was like adding rocket fuel to a decision I'd already made and shot me off like a rocket. And, and, and so did it happen overnight? Hey, guys, no, nothing, you know. Uh, we live in a culture now where they want everything. You, you want microwave service all the time. You want it now. You want it now. Some things you got to wait for. And I had to work for this. But as, as, as the next couple of years went on and my wife began to see me get up in the morning and be sitting at the table when she got up and I'm, I'm having my cup of coffee, and I've got that devotional that you saw Jay out in my Bible out, you know, and I'm reading my Bible on a daily basis. And she began to see me lead my children to church and lead my family in prayer and become the spiritual leader. That's when all those things started to come back. And, you know, I, I would say it was a probably a good two years before I could finally say, you know what? I think it's gone. But the two, two well-spent years and, uh, And of course I had no idea. I mean, I I was still uh, in wrestling, uh, you know, and I actually left the WWF as it was known then the WWE, uh, you know, at the end of 90, about the end of 93, because even though my heart had changed, even though my attitude about everything had changed, the environment I was in had not changed at all. So if you're going to quit drinking, get out of the box wanted
0: you to be the million dollar man, 24, yeah.
2: seven. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I knew I had to separate myself from the environment. And so I went to Vince and told him that I was uh, given my notice. And, and what I did was I went back to work uh, for a company in Japan called all Japan pro wrestling, which is a different, you know, it's like when I went to Japan, it was totally different because, uh, there's a language barrier. It's a very expensive place at the time and all, you know, even, you know, even when I wasn't living for God, all I did in Japan was get on the bus, go to the show, work the show. And I read a lot. I said, this is perfect. This would be almost like a retreat. I can still read a lot. I'll read a lot of the Bible. And, uh, two tours into that, I heard herniated two discs in my neck or they manifested themselves and my physical wrestling career was over. And, uh, and so I continued on in the wrestling industry as a manager and a commentator, but I was, you know, and then it it was about two years. And Hal said this to me, he said, he said, Teddy says, a lot of pastors are going to find out that you've got to become a Christian and with all the best intentions, they're going to invite you to their church to share your story. He said, you're a baby Christian and sometimes babies poop their pants. (laughs) I get it. And so I waited. And it was probably two years, and then I started to go out uh, on invitation, uh, and most of the time it was uh, because of the demographic of wrestling bands at the time, a lot of teenagers, uh, and share this story. And um, you know, you know, a couple years later, I can't remember who it was right now, but uh, he had he had booked some events for me, and I happened to be speaking where he lived, and he came to see me, and he said, "Wow," he says. Uh, you know, I can tell you've been reading a lot of the Bible. He says now you're backing up everything you say with scripture. Uh, so I was growing and, uh, it wasn't until the year though, 2000, you know, that God led me to this, to this place where I said, okay, I mean, I could continue on in the WWE, uh, working behind the scenes or what have you at some way, make a living there, or I could now trust God and jump out with absolutely no, uh, you know, I hadn't been to Bible school. I hadn't been out, but I've been in the, in in the word, but God called me to evangelism. And, uh, I took that leap of faith. It was, it was the, it was at this, all in the same time, it was the most exhilarating thing that I'd ever done at the same time. It was the most frightening thing I had ever done, but, if I'm going to trust God, then I'm going to trust God, and I stepped out and did it, and and that's what I have done for for twenty twenty years. And along the way, Jay, you know, you're one of those guys that God that God placed in my path, you know, and you're one of those guys that I that I went to when I had some questions uh, about what I was doing, and uh, uh, you know, uh, you, well, you know, you were there, you know, when when I was ordained to into evangelism, You're one of the guys that spoken by behalf. And uh, and I'm I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for our friendship and and all that you've done for me since. And um, uh, it's
0: well. I remember one night, Ted, when you weren't uh, one day when you weren't real happy with me. (laughs) uh, Oh yeah, and it was very painful for me. I want you to know. So it's hard for me to even retell the story that I'd let you down, but uh, you, uh, misconstrued my motives that I've never deliberately put you in an awkward position. Well, maybe, but that's beside the point, but I would ask for forgiveness, but we were together in a crusade and Ted, you could light up a room, a city, uh, word spread. It, you know, I mean, it was, it was great for the crusade and the 30, 50, hundred, whatever it was, churches at, you know, various places. Uh, it just increased. Uh, the uh, spotlight on, hey, there's something happening here that could change your life. So we're doing this event and we're outside and little did I know there was a prison not far away. And the prisoners asked, those that had been on decent behavior, uh, asked the warden if they could take some chairs and sit outside in the yard as they called it of this state prison and listen. And so uh, I, found, I found out that they could hear everything we were saying. So I said the first night, I said, now I understand we have some folks that are listening from a distance, and you're not able to come forward, but I do want you to know you're able to pray right where you are. And then I led, you know, everybody in this, you know, that came forward in the stadium, but we led in the center's prayer. The next night was youth night. And so we had pizza party so i had pizza sent over to the the prisoner so they're eating pizza hearing us do this message right and so then along the way along the way uh i get invited to speak and you said jay i'd really like to go with me and we went together and that was one of my favorite moments of all time although i didn't appreciate when we walked in I was not the big deal other than the pizza, but everybody there knew who you were. And I said, well, you may find this hard to believe guys, but my good buddy has come because he's got something he wants to share. And uh, (laughs) I introduced you and you gave me a look, something that being a driver and a body slam was coming, but
2: you You let me Let me add my, you know, I'm this young guy, young in the, young in the, in the ministry. I'm just starting out. And I'm, I mean, it's like, you're like the mentor. And when I asked you if I could go with you, it was kind of like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get in the hip pocket here and I'm going to get a chance to see how this is done. And I can still remember you introducing me and then leaning it over and whispered in my ear, go get up kid. <laughs> oh man. But you know what? Uh, there's always a way. There is, Ted. There's well, always
0: a way. You shared your story, and you know, Ted. Here's the thing. You know, you're a big guy. You're an imposing guy. You're the million-dollar man. All that persona, but you wept in front of those prisoners. You confessed what some mistakes you'd made. You talk and of course, those men needed to hear some straight, unvarnished not Sunday morning, 11 o'clock hour kind of stuff. And you just shared your story. And I remember the Lord just said to me, he said, Jay, man, he has never gotten over being saved. And about you, and he is pouring his heart out, you know, and it was obvious you could relate to those men, and then you gave him a pretty strong challenge. And I knew right then and there, as Sherlock Holmes would say, the game was afoot. God was gonna was gonna take Ted DiBiase, and uh, no telling what would happen. And Ted, through the years, some big some big events we've done, whether it's youth pastor summits or or uh, crusades or New Year's Eve celebrations in a citywide event, whatever it may be. To be able to have you be available to come in and share, that has been one of the great, some of the great moments in my life. I also want watching you and Melody have become a great, and then how serious you've gotten on family conferences and uh, and marriage conferences and relating to parents and men and women. It's a very exciting, amazing story.
2: Well, it's, it's, it's all God, man. I and mean, it's, it's all by his grace and his mercy in my life and, and, uh, uh, you know, listening along the way. And, um, uh, yeah, Mel and I, you know, we have, we've started to, we, we have done some, and it's like, it's, uh, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's like, it's nothing elaborate. We've, you know, we've never done like like a three or four day, you know, a couples conference, but we have gone, gone in together where, uh, we do a weekend, and uh, you know, like I'll go with the guys, and she'll go with the ladies, and they'll we'll do their thing, and then we will bring them together, and then as a couple, we will 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 speak to them, and I'll be honest with you, in, in that I try to I, I set my wife up and I let her go, and because sure. kind of like um, you know it's like even like the documentary, uh, the Price of Fame that I did about my life. You know, I've had a lot of people say, the real hero of this story is Melanie. And I said, absolutely. It was because it was Melanie who had to forgive me because none of the other stuff would have happened had you not. Sure. And so, um, you know, that's, you know, and, uh, and I'm just, I'm as I'm grateful today, Jay, uh, for Melanie and, and for her forgiveness uh, and God's forgiveness as I, as I was the day that it happened.
0: Ted, let me ask you a couple summarizing questions. As you talk to men, I want to just encourage every pastor, every businessman, uh, every man or woman of faith, you know, whether she care about students, she care about couples and families. Uh, Ted's been involved in mission trips around the world. And I promise you, you don't go anywhere in the world where they don't know about WWF WWE I was in the largest slum in the world according to the United Nations in Nairobi and I'm visiting with a little boy that has no family and no school no anything barefoot no electric lives in a little tiny room uh, no electricity no running water And uh, I was praying about somehow sponsoring him, Diane and I were, and we were together. And we had a meal with him, you know, but he never would look me in the eye. And finally I went, you know, Patrick, look at me in the eye. You gotta look people in the eye, don't make me do this. And out of nowhere, this 11 year old boy, no running water, no electricity, largest slum in the world goes, John Cena. And I went, what? He said, can't see it. you. Know, and I'm going, this is impossible. You know, it's not like he's, you know, in America or North America or Japan watching, you know, TV. It's, I mean, it was impossible. Yeah. And uh, and I say all that to say, around the world, it's exciting. Uh, the notoriety still, and uh, people know. But it, so I'm just saying to anyone in this room who's an influencer. Maybe you're a leader of your church or your youth group or you're involved with some projects for corporations, et cetera. Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, is a tremendous tool in the toolbox for helping change the lives of our employees, the lives of our church members, and the lives of young people. And uh, so you're having a men's conference or a sports conference. We've done every kind of event together almost humanly possible and uh, to watch how flexible you are, and watch how God uses you and Melody uh, is a big deal. So Ted, we're gonna have posted how folks can get in touch with the million dollar man, and I I hope you'll do that. Uh, Those that are influencers, I hope you'll use this man of God, because prayerfully, pretty soon, we're gonna get back to where we're allowed by the governors and mayors to have big church, and have, you know, people actually congregate, uh, you know, people faith being able to be to go. And in many states still, as you know, Ted, uh, they're not able. Uh, we happen to think church is essential, hello. And if the strip clubs can be opened and the bars can be open and the tattoo parlors and the abortion clinics can be opened, and you can riot and do damage in cities, it seems like maybe, it'd be all right for an essential group like that synagogue or that church or that parish uh, to open. So when we get back to doing that, I hope everyone that's listening to this podcast knows about what we're about. I'm just telling you, this is a man I've used many, many, many times to strengthen what (coughs) God's. called me to do and then to watch him in businesses, secular, I mean, any environment, sports, you know, whatever it may be, uh, he can relate as, as very few. Now, Ted, one last question for you as you look at uh, where we are, where athletes are today, we look at what's going on even, you know, with WWE continuing to expand and explode around the world. Um, One or two of the great lessons you've learned. So number one, I remember for many years, your byline was, every man has a price. And then I've heard you, when you share your story, go, you know what? Every man has his price. And you know what that is? It's the shed blood of Jesus. And that's one of the most powerful things I've ever heard and God has used that in the lives of thousands and thousands of men and women. But Ted, you, uh, as you share, what are just in closing, a couple things that you would look right in the camera and say to a man, say to a woman, that you feel have really, and things you've tried to teach your boys, and I know your boys, and they're they're not boys, they're all men, I look up to them all literally. Uh, you know, these are, uh, out, you know, big men. But as you close us today, give us a couple of those uh, million dollar isms, those Ted DiBiase nuggets.
2: Well, I, you know, I have shared with my boys that, uh, it's kind of like they have to be conscious on a daily basis. It's like, I heard Tony Evans say this and, and and I laughed, but it's great. He said every day when I roll out of bed and my feet hit the floor, I want the devil to look up and go, Oh crap, he's up. In other words, I got to deal with this guy, which means his faith is so strong that the devil doesn't want to deal with him. And, and I, I have said that to my boys, I said, you know, we have to look at the world around us and understand that this isn't home. And that, and that uh, God has a plan. For every life, God has a plan, and I said, "And I said, I, I can't, I can't figure that out for you." I said, "The and the only way you're going to know it is by spending time with God." I mean, I did, I didn't just wake up one day and say, "Oh, you know what? I think it'll be a great idea for me to be an evangelist." Being an evangelist was the last thing I thought I'd ever do, but as I as I took my journey with God, as I got in the Word on a daily basis, and I allowed God to speak to me through that and through the people who he crossed my path with, including you, Jay. Then it became obvious over time what he was wanting me to do. And, but I had to have the faith. The Bible says very clearly without faith it's impossible to please God. I had to have the faith. I had to trust God enough to step out. It's like stepping off a cliff and there's nothing, and there's nothing there and trusting God's going to put a bridge there. That's the kind of faith you got to have. And I, so, uh, you know, but, that's got to be uppermost in your, in your mind. The greatest relationship of your life is your relationship with Jesus Christ. You start every day with him and you end every day with him. Uh, you know, and it's kind of like, and you know, it's like when the Bible says, you know, you know, pray without ceasing. Well, yeah, I pray throughout the day. Now I understand what that means. Uh, there's a lot of of things that I do and it will, where guys are concerned. gentlemen, gentleman, uh, the thing with guys is pride. Bible clearly says pride goeth before the fall. It was my pride. It was like, there was nothing wrong with the fact that I wanted to be the best wrestler I could be, you know, that it wasn't, it wasn't wrong for me to aspire, you know, cause I knew my, my dad had died. My dad was gone and gosh, my dad would be so proud of me. And that's, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, uh, my dad wasn't God either. Uh, it's it's like, you know, uh, why, why am I doing this? And that's it. It's, it's okay to want to be ambitious. It's okay to want to be hardworking. It's okay to want to be the best you can be, whatever you're gifted to be. But here's the difference to the glory of God, not self. So. I, I believe that God gives all of us a sphere of influence. And it, you know, I allowed, I believe that God allowed me to have the celebrity that I've had, because he knew one day that I would take that celebrity. I mean, I I could give three nickels about being famous anymore. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of junk that comes along with being famous too. I said, but all, all that means that's like now I used to say, you know, when I was living in the world, look at me, look at me, look at me. Now when people look at me, I go, look at him that's what i'm all about today and so i don't care if you're a doctor a lawyer i don't care if you're a construction worker i don't care what your sphere of influence is be it be a sphere of influence use your influence Hmm. and when necessary use words which is the way we live our life i mean when i went back after this confrontation with my wife when i went back to the WWF. I'm the million dollar man. I'm, I'm still traveling. I'm still on the road with the guys. You know, it wasn't what I said that impressed some of those guys It's that I, you know, and a lot of them said, and then several guys came up to me and said, you know, there's a lot of guys that have said what you've said, but we're watching you and you don't go to the bars anymore and you're not hanging out like you used to do. And we, it's about, it's about living it and, and, uh, pride, you know, and I, and again, for men, um, uh, lust, you know, lust is a big issue with a lot of men. I mean, oh my gosh, I mean, pornography. Uh, it's unbelievable. I, I have been told that, and this is a sad fact, but, uh, hotels that host conferences and, and all kinds of conferences where they'll have a Christian conference in their hotel. And they said, that seems to be the time when the most pornographic movies are rented in their rooms. Hmm. That's sad. You know, uh, you might be able to uh, hide hide from some people, but you can't hide from God. No lust. And there's all kinds of lust. I mean, lust of the flesh is one thing, but the lust of fame, the lust of, of, you know, I mean, uh, wanting more, uh, you know, there's all kinds of lust. Lust is huge with men and guys. You got to, you know, it's a daily battle. Every day you get up, you got to hit the floor.
0: Ed, one of the great challenges that changed, really helped me in my life is that when I began to understand the biblical principle, what is done in darkness will be seen in light. What is done in secret will be shouted from the housetop. And, right. Satan's favorite words are, no one will know, no one will know, it'll be okay, everybody does it, don't worry about it, and the minute something happens, I can't believe you did that, everybody's going to find out, you're not worth it, I mean, you know, he becomes the accuser, so he is the liar and the deceiver, and then the first first one to condemn and say your life is over, Ted, I knew you were a tough dude, uh i watched you for a long time and then when i had to have a knee replacement and i'm looking to you for a little comfort a little friendship a little brotherly you know old much older brother you know i'm like a son to you you know but uh anyway <laughs> but anyway i'm looking for some comfort and you go jay just suck it up man Just man up i had both of mine done at the same time I said, "Dad, don't jive me. There's no way you could. He said, I had both my knees, right, replaced at the same time. And I said, there's no doctor in the world that would do it. And you gave me a line that just kind of shut me down. And that's, uh, uh, I have to admit it when it happens. He said, well, you know, I just said to the doctor, well, doc, I wrestled on those two, these two knees for about five years. So if I can wrestle on these two knees when they're in this shape, I think I'll be able to take care of getting two new knees. So, I mean, it was <laughs> that's when I walked away going, Man, this dude could gargle with peanut butter. He's got <laughs> stuff that. If he could go through that. So, I'm still trying to recover from a knee surgery you had both done. Ted, uh, as I said earlier, uh, we're having a contest for all those involved with our podcast. You'll be hearing about it. We'll have some but we're going to have several pictures. And by the way, Ted, I I, it's, I don't know if you still got that suit or not, but anyway, uh,
2: you know, it, you were stopped being. Well, I, I, I think I have it, Jay, but I can never get it on now.
0: Ted, <laughs> well, I have this picture. I have, a, I've met a lot of incredible athletes. My favorite wrestler, you know, this Ted of all time is the nature boy, Ric Flair. That's, he's the to be the man. You got to beat the man. That's one of the greatest one-liners ever. Yeah. Now I'm a big Roman Reigns guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but I got but when I talk about Ted DiBiase, I'm not saying he's not my favorite wrestler. He's one of my all-time on a handful favorite individuals that I've met. And I've met a lot of famous folks, a lot of incredible folks. Ted, what God has done in your life the kind of man you are, the kind of friend you are, and it's been going on 20, 25 years or so that we've known each other, so I'm not just caught up in the moment. I've, I know Ted DiBiase, so whenever somebody says, well, favorite this, favorite that, one of my favorite all-time, I had a buddy of mine picked up a firecracker when he was a kid lost two and a half fingers, so as I like to say, you could count on Ralph Tillman's right hand the people that I would put Ted DiBiase in that category. So Ted, for being a man's man, more importantly for being God's man, but I wanted to have you on and I hope all of our folks will spread the word. What a testimony. And I hope you'll have a chance to be in their city, their church, their business in the days ahead. So Ted, there's always a way and God bless you.
2: God bless you, Jay. And and again, thank you for all that you've been, in, in my life, and the, you have been an inspiration uh, equally. I mean, I mean, I, I learned a lot from you, especially in those early days. Even though you just threw me to the ru- uh, w- the wolves when I went into the prison, uh, I'll forgive you for that. But 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 uh, you know what? It's it, that's one of those. That's one of those. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, it's like that's what a good coach would do. I'm sorry, but I mean, it's like I was mean, like, oh I know my gosh, I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting this, but oh.
0: Yeah, but see, I, I do those loving kind of things for you. And what I get from you is, hey, Jay, I know one drug you never took. What was, what are you talking about? Man, I've been busted since. Steroid, never took any steroids. So anyway, so I just want everybody to know. That, you know I'm the loving, giving, patient guy. And this is what I, I give back. Ted,
1: you're the best, man.
2: Keep it up. Yeah. Jay. I love you. And thank you. And uh, any anytime. Thank you very much.
1: You got it. And thank you for listening to There's Always a Way with Dr. Jay Strack. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend by taking a screenshot and posting it to your story or tagging us on Instagram or Twitter at the letter J Strack 007. If you haven't yet, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast. Because of you, others are able to be encouraged and equipped by these incredible episodes.